Welcome to yet another edition of Artifactual Journey. I'm your host, Philip J. Merrill, and today we are talking to none other than retired Brigadier General George H. Walls, Jr. What a pleasure it is to be just sitting next to you. Can I just touch you again? <laughs> I am touchable and approachable. Oh, okay. <laughs> Portia, did you hear that? Your wife, did you hear that? <laughs> okay. okay, on a serious note... Way before I ever got to meet you at a Walls family reunion in Oxford at the historic site of Hosanna the Cemetery, I was familiar with the most important black general, I thought, which was General Jackson. Yes. This is a fugitive slave who walked amongst the streets here, just like you did, but many decades later, and his story is for yet another episode. But I want to segue that... We're talking about two generals, one that we don't know how he got his name, and one that you're going to explain to us, how did you become Brigadier General? Okay, that is a story that starts in 1964 when I graduated from uh, Westchester, then Westchester State College. Right here. Right here in Westchester, Pennsylvania. And at that time, student deferments were fine until you graduated, and then you were eligible for the draft. And I got the ubiquitous brown envelope that said come on down. (laughs) Somewhere in the middle of the pre-induction process I realized that if I allowed that process to continue I would end up being a private in the army in Vietnam. And this was not on your radar? It was not on my radar to go that way but I was not against serving in the military. But I chose to join the Marine Corps and serve as an officer instead of serving as an enlisted person. So that's, that's how I got to the Marine Corps. I stayed on active duty for 28 years, and over the course of that time had various assignments around the world, Philadelphia, Washington, Pentagon, aircraft carrier duty, Vietnam, Okinawa, all over the place. Where didn't you go and what didn't you do? I <laughs> never got stationed in Parksburg, Pennsylvania, which is where I grew up. That's your home That's right. Okay, <laughs> okay. Other than that, I got to most places. Okay. <laughs> So it was, it was a matter of basically finding something that I was really passionate about, and that was the Marine Corps. Although I only planned to stay three years, as I said, I ended up staying 28. And You made a career out of it. And I made a career out of it, and I guess I must have done a good job because they, they kept promoting me. And, and as you look back on your illustrious career, did you have any local role models that had come across your, your path, whether it be at Westchester, whether it be in high school or in your family? Uh, a bunch. A bunch? A bunch. Of course, my mother and father. Right. Excellent, um, excellent. My my stepfather, uh, Philip Gibson, had served in the Navy during World War II when the Navy was segregated. Nice. He had a degree in dental technology, and when he joined the Navy, the only thing he could be was a cook or a steward. Right, right. And there's a story connected with that. If we get a minute, I'll, I'll tell you about it. But, so my mother and father, of course, were, were the first people who uh, had a great influence on my life. My high school biology teacher, basketball coach, and a former Marine. And which high school was this? This was Octavera Area High School, which is out in the country. I wanted to give here. a shout out to them. Okay, okay. that's why I wanted yes. to know the name uh, of that <laughs> high school. So I was very impressed with him because of the way he carried himself and the fact he was a great teacher and a great person. His name was Bill Adams. He's deceased now, but he was he was the first Marine I ever met. Did he live long enough to see your success? He he passed away while I was in school here at Westchester. Okay. Yeah. Okay. The other people who have had a great influence on my life, of course, are my wife Portia. Right. Uh, can still continues to have an influence. And once I came to Westchester, 
there were a number of people who had affiliations with the Marine Corps. Charlie Swope, who used to be uh, president at Westchester, and uh, a number of other people there. Dick Yoder, who now is deceased, was the mayor here in Westchester, was a lifelong friend. Hmm. So there were people all along the way, and I guess the biggest influences on me were the people that I met after I joined the Marine Corps. As a young person starting out in a profession, there are many opportunities to make uh, career-ending mistakes. Indeed. (laughs) And I was fortunate enough to have people work with me, work for me, and people who I work for who I guess saw something in me. And uh, they, they kept me, they, they taught me and they kept me from making any of those, those fatal mistakes. And with that said, have you been able to uh, take that concept and pass it on to others where you've helped to guide them, some younger folk that possibly could have gone down the wrong road? I have been trying to pay it forward ever since <laughs> I was 22 years old. Okay. And, okay. and still do. I, Good. I, I mentor young people. Wonderful. Uh, I'm, I'm still in touch with some people who I knew 50 years ago. And and we'll talk by, well, two of them I go to lunch with once a month. Right, that's um, lovely, that's fabulous. You know, so we, we do that right now. When we leave here, we're going down to the university for a little tailgate and a football game, and we're going to meet a young lady who we are supporting going through Westchester. That is outstanding, yeah. and it's so nice to hear a person of color giving back. So often people don't understand that there are various degrees of philanthropy and you don't have to always have your name in the lights when you're doing something. And sometimes, historically, people of color have done a lot. It just hasn't been publicized. So it's nice to hear you say that. That touches my heart. We need more people to step up to the plate to do what uh, the Walls family is doing. So I commend you on that. Let me segue to something that I thought you were going to say. But well, you... I was getting ready to say it right now. Okay, go you, ahead. You, you, go, go ahead. You, go ahead. Come on, no, go ahead, General. You know, we ahead. we <laughs> have been talking here even before we went on air about the history of blacks. Yes. Our history is everywhere. Say that again. Come on, say it Our again. Our history is everywhere. Yes. And unfortunately, a lot of people including blacks, right. do not know our history. I run across so many people who can't trace their family back any farther than their grandparents. Right. And, and that is a shame. And in, in my case, as you know, right. I can trace the Walls family all the way back to the beginning of this country. Say that again. I can trace the Walls family all the way back to the beginning of the United States of America. And on the, my mother's side of the family... I can trace it back to an escaped slave who decided she didn't want to be a slave anymore, followed the Susquehanna River up to Columbia, Pennsylvania, was indentured for five years with a Quaker family, and then married her husband, Jacob Thompson, and she died at 101 years old in 1888. Prudence, I'm done. Prudence Ann. I've seen her headstone. Yes, you have. At St. John. That's, we were with just, relative Hersey Gray. Yeah. There was... Prudence Ann, her husband Jacob is buried next to her, and if you walk that row of tombstones all the way to the top of the hill, you'll see my mother, my father, and my grandmother. This concludes the segment. I'm done. I'm floored. (laughs) What else else can I say? I mean, you've done it all. you got it all. That's absolutely a magnificent story that hopefully will excite other people to get busy with doing research, with Ancestry.com, with Find a Grave, with family reunions, with historical societies, such as the lovely Chester County Historical Society where we are having this podcast. I just think that's fabulous. And all that, talk to me about a, a part of history that 
is really troubling to you that I think a lot of people only know the movie. Denzel Washington was in a movie. Glory. Yes. Yes. And what's your family connection to a, a, a moment in that historic movie? I have an ancestor, Albert Walls, who enlisted in the 54th Massachusetts Regiment of U.S. Colored Troops. But he trained, of course, with the regiment, as was described in the movie. And at the end of the movie, there is a, a very gallant charge on Fortress Wagner, which is located down below Charleston, South Carolina. Yes. Albert Walls was killed in that, in that battle. And the interesting document that I have is the, the muster roll of Company B. And in there, he is listed as Albert Walls, farmer from Pennsylvania, and the government paid his family a $50 death gratuity. $50. His body never was found because at the end they, they buried in, in mass graves. Yes. So Albert never came back to, to Hinsonville, Oxford, Oxford. Lincoln to, to be interred. With his other family. With, with the rest of the family. So it's kind of a it's kind of an interesting story that Albert was, as far as we know, the first member of our family who served the country. And he served as a private and rolled forward about 100 years. And I served as a Brigadier General in the Marine Corps. Third and one of them. That's why this is so exciting to be able to, again, touch you, sit here, <laughs> look you in your face, and talk about uh, underreported aspects of the African-American narrative. And with that said, in front of you, I want mm-hmm. you to look at this very important yes. ledger from Veronica. Could you tell me the years that the ledger contains? So the Henry Cope & Co. ledger is from 1874 till 1882. And it's, it's from Lincoln University Village, which is adjacent to the college, which really is tied into the development of Hensonville, because mm-hmm. as Ashman Institute, which goes on to become Lincoln University, develops they wipe out the total free black community that was sustainable. Yep. And there was a huge rift between parts of the family members that attended one church and then the church in the village. And so you have all of this confusion. And tied into the confusion is the fact that so many of these early family names, the Drapers, the Hiltons, the Walls, of the Jays, they all intermarry. And they use the same name over and over, over and over again. again. And so in this ledger, the company opens up in 1862 down in the village. Most people might know where the railroad tracks are yeah. today. That's mm-hmm. obviously where President Taft came when he visited Lincoln. And that's the famous train depot that Langston Hughes was on and, and so forth. But we're after understanding where the former USCT lived and worked after they returned from the war and the former slaves and the wealthy white people. So this ledger really encapsulates well-known names from the Commonwealth, from Delaware, from Maryland, and it's a treasure trove. And at the bottom of page 181, you see what? Say it out loud. George Walls Jr. And I have my trusted sidekick here, Veronica Acar. And what's the relationship? Because you know, I don't know. I can't keep it straight. I'm all walled out. (laughs) So according to our Ancestry.com research, George Walls Jr. is the son of the first George Walls to settle in Hensonville with his brothers, William Walls and Edward Walls. And that makes them connected to you by? They would be my, what? Great grand? There's a bunch of greats in there and grand. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So this is why it's so important to be able to share knowledge, to talk to each other face-to-face, electronically, 
and to get together to put the missing pieces together to have a much more complete story. Overall, when, when I think of the Commonwealth, one of the important names that I think of is the Walsh family because it has so many layers, and some of those layers are still being developed. And every time I take someone of a certain age to Hosanna, they start telling me, you know, I didn't realize, but I'm related because of the Noco family, because mm-hmm. of the Coles, because of the Duffies, because of the Websters and the Walls. It really is enough to drive you crazy, yeah. but in a good kind of crazy way. And I just want to say to you that uh, I want to really thank Portia, and really not you, because Portia posted on Facebook that she was just at the cemetery, which I was fortunate to go to a couple years ago with Hersey Gray, and the, one of the first places we had to go see were your relatives. Yeah. Before he wanted to see his own direct connection, he wanted me to know that this is where the general's family was. And so when I saw that on Facebook, I said, okay, I got to catch her. So I hit her up and said, check your inbox, and gave her the number. And we're so delighted that you called because... Our podcast is a new experience where we're trying to reach people that normally aren't that interested in history. Mm -hmm. And we're trying to do it in an edutainment way where we have artifacts, we have material that's well-researched, and we can connect the dots. So while I'm here, I just want to say to you that earlier I was looking over here at some of my notes and you said, oh, talk to me about what you said about the other uh, Brigadier General. Did you actually knew Frank Peterson? Yes. How did you know the first Brigadier General? As a young man in the Marine Corps, at the time I joined the Marine Corps, there were only five black officers in the entire Marine Corps. Only five? Only five out of roughly 200,000 Marines. And roughly what year is this? 1965. Okay. The first black officer that I met was a man named Clay Baker, who uh, was a captain at the time, and he was one of my instructors at basic school. Was he harder on you because of the black connection or not? No, actually, again, there was the formal military relationship, and then there was a, let me pull your coattail about this right, right. relationship. Okay, okay, okay. So that was in basic school with Clay Baker. I went to Vietnam, and I met, he was a major then, he retired as a colonel, Ken Berthow. And he became one of my closest friends and mentors up until the time he died. And the next person was then Lieutenant Colonel, Frank Peterson. Now, this goes back to like 1969, and he was a naval aviator, Marine Corps aviator, first to command Marine units in aviation at every level, flew every aircraft that the Marine Corps had, and was, was, a, was a very, very great friend of mine, and he passed away about four years ago now. Yes. So he was the first. Right. The first active duty black officer to become a general. The second black officer made it as a reserve. Uh, his name's Gary Cooper. Is he still with us? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, very much so. Okay. okay. Yeah. He and I met in Vietnam out in the jungle. Out in the jungle. Out in the jungle. And he and I have been friends ever since 1966. I love these stories. We talk to each other once a week, whether we need to or not. And I referred to him as, Mm. I'm an only child. Okay. So I referred to him as my brother from another mother. Right. I love that phrase too. Yeah. He made his first star, made his second star in the reserves. He has been an assistant secretary of the Air Force. He has been the ambassador to Jamaica. He served in the Alabama state legislature and owns a bank. 
other than that, he hasn't done much with his life. Not at all. Not <laughs> at all. But it sounds like you just roll with folks that are in high cotton, as the folks used to well, say. Well, like I said, I was I was very fortunate to have these people as friends and 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 mentors. And then I was I was a third. I got promoted in 1991 and uh, stuck around for a couple of years. And then got I had a I won't say it was a higher calling. I had another calling and uh, decided that 28 years was enough, and I retired. You appear to be very humble, and that, that's also very impressive to me. You don't carry yourself uh, like a retired brigadier general, that you think someone would be of your ilk. Well, uh, no. Is that because of your family and the foundations that were laid at home, or is it because of your military experiences, or just it's your personalities within your DNA? It's all of the above. I was raised by my mother and grandmother until my mother remarried. And their philosophy was that you treated people the way you wanted to be treated, yes. and you treated everybody with respect. So yes. during my time in the Marine Corps, I respected the private as much as I respected other general officers. Right. And most times I listened to the privates because they knew more about what was going on than anybody knew anyway. <laughs> right, but right. That's right. just, you know, it's a function of all the things that you mentioned, Philip. It's just, it's just my personality and my nature, and I love people, and... Uh, like to be treated well and like to treat people well. Well, I, I definitely have to say that I get to meet a lot of important people, some really famous, some really wealthy financially, but you rise to the top of my list because of your personality, your uh, accomplishments, and your passion for history and for life. So as I wrap up this episode of Artifactual Journey with uh, retired Brigadier General George H. Walls Jr., I want to ask you one last question. Mm-hmm. And be honest, because you've right. been honest throughout this, this conversation. Only way I know how to be. Exactly. Where was one of your favorite haunts when you were matriculating at the college in Westchester? Um, <laughs> that you can tell us that. Make sure it's clean. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, no, no women's dormitories, that kind of story, but the clean stuff. No, uh, as I told you before, they <laughs> tore old Maine down. So okay. That, 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 okay. that right. wipes out four years right there. Okay. Underneath the old women's gym at Westchester, they used to have a place where students gathered called what well, was called the Raskeller. And at the time I was at Westchester, there were probably 25 black students. Did you know them all? Oh, yes. 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 I mean, you, you, we, we you banded studied together. together. Okay. We banded together. Right. And I'm still in contact with what are half of them. Okay. Yeah. So that was one of the places where when I wasn't practicing for track or I wasn't studying, which I... Never mind. Uh, <laughs> that's where we all got together. We hung out. We played music and shot pool and and, uh, and that sort of thing. So that's your favorite haunt of the, the, from the time from the times at Westchester. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this has been a pure delight. I don't get up this early on Saturday morning for too many people or too many reasons, but when I have a chance to sit, touch, look at, and interact with the retired Brigadier General, you can best believe that Philip J. Merrill will be there. So this is a wrap. Thank you, and stay tuned for future episodes of An Artifactual Journey.